Welcome to Grading the Nutmeg, the podcast of Connecticut history and the 2023 winner of an award of merit for excellence from the Connecticut League of History Organizations. Brought to you by Connecticut Explored, the magazine of Connecticut history. I'm Mary Donahue. I started following a project on Facebook four or five years ago. It was based on a very simple idea, sleeping overnight in historic buildings. But it was also genius. The project is the Slave Dwelling Project. Joseph McGill Jr., a black historic preservationist and Civil War reenactor based in South Carolina, had begun this groundbreaking project to sleep overnight in the countless and very underappreciated former slave dwellings that still stand across the country. What has this got to do with Connecticut? McGill not only sleeps at residences across the South, but the North and the West too. In Connecticut, he has slept at buildings owned by the Greenwich Historical Society and in New London at the Hempstead Houses owned by Connecticut Landmarks. At each stop, events and campfires are held to really explore with the public the way the history of the enslaved has been told. When I discovered that Joe had a new book coming out in the summer of 2023, I immediately pre-ordered it and read it the week I received it. Sleeping with the Ancestors, How I Followed the Footsteps of Slavery, authored by Joseph McGill Jr. and journalist Herb Frazier, was published by Hachette Books. Today, my guests are author McGill and Nicole Thomas. Thomas was born and raised in New London. She gained an interest in local history 20 years ago after her mother purchased a historic home. Nicole works for Connecticut Landmarks as the assistant site administrator at the Hempstead Houses Museum and is also a researcher for New London's Black Heritage Trail. I should mention that the New London Black Heritage Trail was honored as a history game changer project by Connecticut Explored in 2022. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for the invitation. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. Joe, you have a new book out entitled Sleeping with the Ancestors, How I Followed the Footprints of History. In the book, you describe how you became interested in places where enslaved people lived and worked. How did your career as a preservationist and a living history reenactor lead you to this interest? Yeah, well, I coupled all that with with my DNA and and, and the my lack of education in the sense that the state of South Carolina educated me poorly to the history of my enslaved ancestors. Uh, they left me in a place thinking that they were happy to be enslaved or the people who enslaved them were benevolent or good to them. So, you know, I think that, uh, you know, working for a preservation organization, the National Trust for Historic Preservation, and being a Civil War reenactor, a Union Civil War reenactor, in my DNA, in that lack of that education, and wanting to right or wrong, do as much as I, I, I could to, you know, tell the stories of our enslaved ancestors, be their voice, because they, they were muted when they were here on this earth. And I thought that, you know, sleeping in places, uh, historic places, enslaved dwellings, slave dwellings, you know, was a kind of a, a catch, if you will. It'll get you in. It's a very simple act that anybody could do. But, you know, having access and gaining access to these places of his, of an historical nature that once upon a time in their existence, in their beginnings, it was not their intent to tell the stories of the enslaved in a manner that it should be told, you know, through research and, and through 
archaeology and uh, genealogy and all those things that can help us put the meat on the bones, if you will, or fill in the gap. The Slave Dwelling Project does that. It gains, it gains access from these historic sites that once enslaved people and invite the public in after hours. And in these uh, moments at these places, the conversations just flow. And all I do is kind of help help to do that. So that's what the Slave Dwelling Project is basically all about, gathering at these places and bringing attention to the fact that they exist, they should exist, uh, in the stories of the people who inhabited these spaces should be incorporated into the narrative of that particular site. So that's kind of it in a, in a nutshell. Well, it's just in 10 years just blossomed and I know you started by thinking, "Oh, I'm going to I'm going to sleep in uh, my home state uh, in South Carolina in places in South Carolina." It's expanded from there, but I want to just have you take a minute and talk about the really emotional and spiritual side of it for you when you're there when you're finally there by yourself and the campfire conversations are over and you've got your sleeping bag in one of these spaces what's that like for you and what do you think about emotional and spiritually it's more emotional for me than spiritual you know i very seldom sleep in these places alone anymore but those few times that i did uh in the beginning you know i thought about those people our enslaved ancestors inhabiting those spaces where they probably got the the most rest from their enslavement but even that rest could be interrupted by the desire of the enslavers in the sense of them wanting them to do more work or in the sense of them being desirous of the women who were inside those cabins you think about that you think about escaping you think about the next morning what what the next morning holds for you you know just repetitive uh, stealing of your labor uh, without the backing of the government to cease all the wrong that you know that they themselves were sanctioning. So you think about those things. You think about being chased by dogs and you know women women giving birth where they work and women strapping those children to their to themselves to take them to the field so that they can continue to work. Yeah, you you think about those things and. Um, and, and I think it, it makes you more capable of uh, recording those things. You know, luckily for me, I, I was writing blogs at the beginning of the project and I could we could reference those blogs to create the book that we created. So now, again, spiritually, a lot of folks ask, well, do you think it's the, the ancestors guiding this? I think it is now. I'm in somewhat denial of it because a lot of folks want to go a step further. Do you communicate? Do they communicate to you? Do you communicate to them? And the answer is no. I don't communicate to them if if that's possible. I, I try to keep what I do in the physical, things I can control. And what I can control is seeking permission for access to these places to come in and do what I do. And, you know, initially it was just sleeping there, which has now evolved into the conversations that we have around the campfire. And that has far more substance now than just a sleepover. Sleeping is easy. Anybody can do that. But 
if you can engage in one of these conversations from beginning to end, then right now, that's where the substance of, of what we do right now is. I think some of the words that you use in the book when you're talking about being there at night are, are things like how hard the floor is or whether it's earth, the hot, the cold, the how small it is, the noises that you hear at night. There was one place even, this would be South Carolina, where there were alligators. But Nicole, could you tell us a little bit about the space where enslaved people lived and slept in the Hempstead House, which is a not a separate cabin by itself, but part of the main building. Can you tell us about that? Yes, and, and thank you so much for having me here. Yeah, so the Hempstead Houses are really interesting because, you know, first of all, we're still having that battle about Northern slavery, right, and the fact that it even happened. And so Adam would have come into a house where there had would have been, you know, nine or 10 other people, and he would have had to go all the way up to, you know, the attic or, or, or the garret, which we call the garret, to sleep in that type of space. Now, if you visit the Hempstead houses today, what you'll see is there are two sides to that house. We have a 1728 side that when Adam came to live at the house would have just been kind of been being added. So removed from that, he would have had to get upstairs. Um, there's no staircase necessarily, you know, and he probably would have shared that space with not only just other people like Joshua Hempstead's grandsons, but he would have shared it with other objects, other things from the working day, you know. So he may not have had the type of space that we'll see in that space today. I have slept up there. Joe slept up there. But we think of it now as not so much of a working space, more of an exhibit space where people are, you know, coming to have a, a very detailed story about Adam. Um, and when they do come up there, I keep them up there for some length of time because it would have been uncomfortable. You know, we do the sleepover in June. Not that bad. But if you think about July or August or you think about the dead of winter, what would Adam have experienced in the diary? There are some times where at least one time where Adam, you know, breaks his, I think, his leg or his foot or something like that. And he would have had to he wouldn't have had access to that space. Right. So you think about um, how tragic that would have been to just get up there and what that space would have been like for him to have to get up there and lay on a floor or maybe the pallet. We do have a pallet up there right now that is reminiscent of something he may have slept on. But maybe he didn't even have that. And those are the types of things I try to think about when I think about Adam and SBs. Now, you mentioned Adam, who is a documented enslaved person that lived right there at the Hempstead House. What kind of records do you have that you've been able to use to tell his story? So we really pretty much just have the diary. There are some court records. And, you know, one of those court documents is comes through a witness and where Adam Jackson is able to say, Joan and John Jackson are my parents. And that is the only time we really get to hear about Adam um, in his own words, but still it's through a third party witness. Um, so there are not that many documents, but Joshua does frequently talk about what Adam would have done for work, um, other enslaved people he would have worked alongside. So it just, you know, tells the story that Northern slavery is not as small as, as we like to make it seem in our history books. There were a lot of enslaved people right there in New London. And so you know, when you think about the documentation that sometimes you get from other places, other enslaved people in other places, we don't have that much on Adam. All we have is what Joshua writes about in his working memory. And that is because Joshua is the type of person to write about his working day, you know, what he would have weighed, what he would have um, brought in for money and the work that Adam would have done. They lay out the roads, a lot of the roads in New London, which people, if they read the diary, will be familiar with. Um, so there's unfortunately outside of the diary, 
that was kept for 47 years by Joshua Hempstead, not that much on Adam Jackson. So Joshua Hempstead is his is a man who purchases him. And then is it over 30 years that Adam is enslaved at the Hempstead house? Yes. Yes, it is um, about 30 years. We do have some of the other documents from his parents in their court case because there was a lot going on with them. Adam's father, John Jackson, essentially steals his wife and children away from another enslaver. And so he and he also goes up to Massachusetts and fights for them as well. Um, so those are some of the types of things that we do have on that family. You know, Adam's Adam's story has been told through um, the lens of a book, through Joshua's book. And there's another book that comes out by um, Allegra de Bonaventura called For Adam's Sake. And she's able to kind of piece that together based on the diary. So, Joe, I know you started in South Carolina and then you expanded your concept of where you would want to take your project. Why do you think it's important to go to these northern museum sites? Yeah, I think it still goes back to, to education and uh, what's what's taught wherever you learn what's taught to you. You know, in the South, you know, I talked about where, where it left me. But I, I think a lot of northerners, they tend to want to keep slavery in the south and and you know right right rightfully so it has its place in the south but it also had a place in the north because you know as this early nation that we form uh these colonies everywhere there was a colony there was enslavement and in some some of these northern states right around the revolution they started legislatively you know getting rid of slavery and uh, but even after they legislatively abolished slavery, they were still complicit, complicit because the banks that were were holding the mortgages on the lives of people in this institution were in the northern states. The insurance companies of Connecticut, big time, insuring the lives of enslaved people are, are, are were in the northern states, the ship builders, the owners of the ships were in the northern states. The factories adding value to the cotton. They were in the northern states. So uh, the northern state does not get a pass in in this institution of slavery. You know, the the mission of the the slave dwelling project. But, I, you know, I went into I went into this thing in 2010, not knowing that, not not even being aware of anything that I just spoke of. So. You know, now that um, you know, now that I I have that knowledge, I I, I want to share it. I I want to I want to uh, you know bring the North into the realization that yeah, we we certainly you know love the fact that there was a, a revolution, uh, and there was the Underground Railroad, which tends to be the default when I talk about Black history to Northerners, or when I talk about slavery, uh, the default is you know there's a place in in New York, Connecticut, or New Jersey, associated with the with the Underground Railroad, then I have to remind them that the history of their state goes back further than that. I, I have to, you know, let them know that before the Quakers were abolitionists, they were slave owners, and, and you know, I have, I have to remind them of that because they again want to keep slavery in Southern states and. I, you know, the mission of the slave dwelling project says, as you know, you need to own up to your portion of it also. So there's that. How did you come up with the concept of doing the the campfire conversations? Being a Civil War reenactor and, and having access to sites after we 
reenact these battles and the and the audience leaves and we're still at these sites and and these we 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 have these campfires of these civil war reenactors so you can go from campfire to campfire to campfire and and talk to people and and I man, I went into some Confederate camps and and started talking to some guys and those guys scared me. You know, they they would quite possibly, highly likely, would have been in in Washington D.C. on January sixth. So you know, they're 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 those kinds. Uh, though that the that that mindset was was there. So I, you know, you could go and and you could communicate with these folks and you could you know you can get into their heads. So I, I found I found that interesting that uh, you know you could go and just have these campfires and and hear the conversations around these campfires. So it was I guess it, it was that experience and knowing that it could work and and just you know taking the uh, taking the the sleepovers to another level using the conversation to do so and I, and I think it's been going over well. I, I think that you know we've been coming to Hempstead houses and for however many years it's been six seven and we always do the campfire conversations and i think they i think they work well do you have a birthday anniversary or special occasion coming up know someone who loves history lucky for you a connecticut explored magazine subscription is the perfect gift that keeps on giving all year round with one or two year gift subscriptions, as well as discounts for seniors, students, educators, and our organizational partner members, there's a gift option for everyone. Visit ctexplored.org slash subscribe to make your friends and family's day with a Connecticut Explored gift subscription. Interested in reaching an audience of culturally active, lifelong learners? We know just the place. Advertise with Grading the Nutmeg, the award-winning podcast of Connecticut history. Grading the Nutmeg offers a unique platform to showcase your brand to a dedicated and engaged audience of history and culture enthusiasts. It's also budget-friendly. To become a Grading the Nutmeg sponsor, email our ad manager at admanager at ctexplore.org and start advertising with Grading the Nutmeg. Nicole, clearly New London was one of our most wealthy ports. It was a maritime city. It had a natural harbor. So things were going to be shipped and there was going to be this uh, kind of a very sophisticated trade with the world in New London. How do you feel people have responded to Joe's campfires at the Hempstead House? I think people have very heavily accepted it. I think people are really fascinated by these stories. One thing we have to think about, you know, and I think it's something that we don't get a chance to talk about out out loud as a group and and Joe's um, campfires have touched on that. We are all burdened, every single one of us, by some form of historic trauma, right? That generational built-in stuff that we don't ever get to, somebody tells you the fire's hot and you, you touch it, you know, but we don't get to touch the things that are hot and say, listen, this is really what's burdening me and what's pulling me down. And the community, I think, has really grasped that. We get people that come from, um, I think we had Joe, a, a lady come from Maryland or, you know, wherever it was, just to sleep at the Hempstead Houses in New London, just to follow Joe, because the conversations really are that impactful. And I think what people really get out of that is that is a space where they we don't hold back. You can say what you have to say. And we just unpack the bags, right? Because 
we're all carrying around all this baggage. And thankfully, the community is really accepting of it. And they do ask, you know, when when is he coming back? It's been six, almost seven years now. And it's never a stale conversation. It's always something fresh. Um, it's things that people want to talk about. And, and let's, I mean, be honest, there's always something new going on. You know, we do get things like January 6th. We have a lot that um, happened during the COVID crisis, you know, with George Floyd's passing and things like that. So not only are we trying to unpack and uncover old, really old historic trauma, but we're still dealing with this in the modern day. So it's not something that's going to go away. There's always going to be space for Joe's work, even though we're unpacking things with the ancestors. And I think that, yeah, there are those blessings there, but we're still dealing with this as a people today. And all, all of us have to unpack that. All of us. Joe often posts things that tourists have said to, you know, visitors and guests at the Magnolia Plantation have said to him or questions they've asked of him. What kinds of questions come up in New London? What surprises people or what kinds of things do they want to know about? Well, people want to know why they weren't taught about slavery in the North. And the real truth is they didn't want us to know. You know, I remember being young and asking my nanny about these types of things. And she's, oh, that didn't happen here. We didn't, you know, I don't think she knew. I really don't think she knew. And it was kind of a topic that was brushed aside. I think even now we're still trying to like sideswipe it, but now they can't really do that. We have the Black Heritage Trail in New London. We're putting up plaques. We're saying this is what happened here. We're not skirting the conversation anymore. We're not having it. And those are the types of things people say, well, why would you, like I get at the Hempstead houses and I've gotten that from a lot of older people. Well, why would you want to work here? They They kept slaves here. Well, who better to tell a story than somebody of brown skin that look like it's going to if anybody's going to tell the story, it's going to be me. You know, I think it's a really important thing to have people of of light color to be able to tell those stories. Not that anybody else can't tell it, but if you want to tell it, you know, true and authentic, I think it's really important to have the stories told by the people who, um, again, historically are traumatized by it and are trying to unpack those bags. We're, we're weighing on a heavy burden. We got to put it down somewhere. And what better way to do that than to tell an accurate truth at a historic space? Joe, I got a lot out of the new book, especially the way you told that you were very conversational uh, in this in the book. And you really told a lot of the first your firsthand experiences. Now, you worked with your friend, Herb Frazier, who's a journalist. How did that help you shape the book? Yeah. Oh, quite, quite nicely. Um, I, I know I'm not a writer like that. Hey, uh, let's see, 13 years ago, when I started this, I worked for the National Trust for Historic Preservation, and I put the idea out there. Tanya Bowers um, is her name, who was working as marketing publicity for the National Trust. She said, Joe, that's a good idea, but you got to document it. You got to write a blog. Every time you sleep in these places, you got to write a blog. I said, yeah. I said no, that's not, I don't want to do that. She said, write 500 words. And I did it. And it was getting the 500 words was a struggle. It was a struggle for me. But I got there and I was I was documenting it as I as I went. And I, yeah, I did about a year of that. Uh, and the National Trust for Historic Preservation was was carrying my blogs. And then all of a sudden they said, no, we're not going to carry your blogs anymore. And uh, there's this other organization, uh, Low Country Africana, a genealogist, Tony, uh, Tony Carrier said, Joe, we got you. So they started carrying my blog. And um, and they said, and then she taught me how to do blogs. And then I started doing my own blogs and posting my own blogs. And I and and it was it was just great. But it was because of the blogs and, and Herb Frazier and his ability as a writer, he's now four times published. 
than the fact that he was the one t- 13 years ago when I pitched the idea to him, or when I told him about the idea, he said, great idea. Journalists would just scoop it up. And he said, do it. And he kind of pushed me out of the nest and 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 say and said fly and and he handled the publicity at the beginning and 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 got it into places it needed to be gotten, but it was still just my intent to to do that one year in the state of South Carolina. But because of Herb's work and the the rabbit start that the project had, it, it the momentum kept going, and and Herb and I came back um, all these years later, maybe about three three years ago, two plus years ago. And after some false starts uh, of being wooed by university presses, you know, the University of Virginia, the University of Georgia, understanding how they did things and getting books published was a little too much and tedious for me. So Herb and I put our heads together and approached an agent who worked the deal for us to get the contract that we got at um, but it was it was you know we would meet weekly and and we would we would just I would talk he would sometimes record he was right he would ask questions he was he he would ask these probing questions like do you remember no Herb I don't that's like ten years ago man I no I don't remember that but then he'll keep asking he'll keep asking and I have to go back to that time and and recall that time to, you know to the to the best of my knowledge but it was the blogs that kind of set the stage and we were pulling from those and and calling some of these sites and getting them involved and and verifying information and and negotiating with uh, the, the the book publisher and, and meeting deadlines and but it all worked in the end um it's it's a tedious process I I don't know what the next book will be or if there'll be one at all, but it, we are, we're at this place right now. You're, I think you're a doer type of person. And I'm thankful that Herb is a investigative journalist type of person that helped you really dig deep on that. Now, he's slept over with you several times, right, in the cabins? If you if you call four several and, one of the, and that fourth one just happened like, like two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's, I guess that, qualifies as several. Okay, great. Well, I'm glad that it sounds like a great combination of skills, to say the least. When I was researching a little bit about different topics that you bring up in the book, one you, one is you talk about American presidents. And according to the History Channel, there are at least 12 presidents, over a quarter of the American presidents, enslaved people during their lifetimes. That is a staggering number. Yeah. How have you approached uh, those presidential homes that you've slept at? What What do you think about? The, I think the first presidential home I slept at was the Hermitage. The Hermit. I was at Montpelier. Well, anyway, I've slept at both of those places, and uh, I think Montpelier was most interesting because you know before they went all through all that drama that they went through, you know, with the descendant community and getting them involved. They've got this great archaeological program there that um, digs. Uh, it's, a, it's a school that, you know, folks can come and they can take part in it. And so I, w- I, w- I would do that. I did that. And I also went there and uh, we built a cabin. Now, we kind of cheated because when we got there, the logs had already been there for us. But we had to shape the logs to make them. We had to make it from a round tree to 
a block or a square, you know, part of what a cabin would be. And it was it was fun. So I, I had that experience there. They also have a um, a freedman's cottage there that I slept in. Uh, the cabin that we built, I slept in it. Uh, the cabins that are now on the landscape because of the archaeological work that was done before the cabins were recreated based on that archaeological work, I've slept in those cabins. So my relationship with Montpelier is strong and, and deep. I got I to gotta re-engage uh, with them. Um, Jefferson's place, Mont- Monticello, I've stepped there twice. And one of those times that I slept there was, well, both of those times was was what, the descendants of Sally Hemings and uh, others who were enslaved there. Well, you know, one of those times, and I may have described it in the book, that it, it got very intense because the descendants of, of Sally Hemings and others who were enslaved there uh, got into a, a confrontation, verbal confrontation about, you know, the relationship being consensual or non-consensual. And it almost got physical, and I got I had to, you know, jump in between all that. Uh, also, let's see the Hermitage. I've stayed there twice, uh, once once by myself alone. I think the second, well, I know the second time was with the group of living historians that I took with me. I've also slept at the James K. Polk site in North Carolina, Pineville, North Carolina. Uh, a few times we we do living history programs there. So yeah, those are the, f- and George Washington's place, uh, Mount Vernon. We, I've stayed there also. It took a while to get there. I mean, from the time I made the initial request to the time that it happened, five years had passed. So that was a you know tough nut to crack. But those are the presidential sites that I've uh, slept at so far. I th- it sounds like you got a few more on your list that you'll have to crack. Yes. I wanted Nicole, I wanted to ask you, do you see an uptick in visitors since you've been at the Hempstead houses that are specifically interested in black history that are coming there because that's something that they're interested in particularly? I have, I have. You know, and again, we have that trail that's right there and that that sort of helps. And then, you know, if it's community people that are, you know, really local you know, some of the people do come there because they do hear me in other places or they'll be able to, um, you know, see what we have to offer. And they know that we're really actively working on not only the Adam Jackson story, but the stories of other enslaved people in the neighborhood. The Hempsteads own those 12 acres up to that ancient burial ground. And so um, there's a lot to unpack there, but it's also, you know, intermeshed with the Black history of that neighborhood. I know I, we spoke a few minutes, but I was able to um, tell you about my family's history in that neighborhood, just the same. And it just fascinates me to think that some of my ancestors and my family members, not even, you know, some people that were, I mean, in my living memory, knew some of these people. There's a a woman um, who helped break the color line in New London, Sarah Cheney, and she was just talking to me, you know, on Juneteenth about how people used to go home from the jail and for lunch, like they would be in the jail and they would go home for lunch, those types of things. So, I mean, there is an interest in, we're fortunate on a level that we do still have some of those living people that are around and we are losing them rapidly. So those are the stories we have to um, ask questions about, you know, we don't want to lose those people. And so there's this reignited. And I I appreciate that the elder community is also um, wanting to know more about what happened in the house in a way that they wouldn't have wanted to know before um, in a story that, you know, Adam Jackson's story was not available to them when they were younger and in school. And so they seem to be fascinated by it because, again, some of these people are in their living their living memory and they just heard, you know, tales about the house, but not the actual stories. And 
now we can thankfully show them things, you know, and talk about the diary and talk about Adam's legacy and the Jackson's legacy, Joan and John Jackson's legacy. Um, so yeah, we have seen an uptick of, of people wanting to know. And once they get inside the house too, a lot of times, you know, you always wonder where your story is going to go. And we often wonder if we're going to have enough to talk about. But once people get inside, I spent like two hours with the teacher a couple weekends ago. We just started talking about all the local history and all Black history. And it just opens the door to things we did not know and things that are currently being discovered in other places, not just the South, but in the North as well. Um, so I would say we have seen an increase in visitors for sure. Joe, I wanted to ask you, as a preservationist myself, I'm always interested in preserving the place where these things happened and not just the record of them or a photograph of them. And I know at the beginning of the Slave Dwelling Project, you visited a lot of communities where these were buildings that just hadn't gotten any attention at all, weren't maintained, weren't interpreted, were sometimes falling down. Do you see an improvement in that or have you seen any change in that? Yeah. I've I've seen an improvement. I've been, um, you know, folks will call me and alert me to places where places that need attention, and I try to direct them in to the places they need to go or other people they need to talk to 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 give it the the attention that that they're seeking for that place. So yeah, we're we're still you know we're still getting more of that. We're we're still kind of a clearinghouse for people wanting to either preserve or or have me come and do what I do. 13 years ago when I started the slave dwelling project, it was like, again, me, you know, me calling these folks now, now it's, it's reversed, but it's more than, you know, just to seek my presence there, you know, it's seeking that information about, you know, is this a slave dwelling? In fact, this past weekend, I was in Walterboro, uh, South Carolina, and I got this email from this lady saying that she just acquired this property and there was this building in the back that she people were not even aware, at least they weren't, um, until they pulled the vines away from it and saw that it could possibly be a, a slave dwelling. And, um, you know, they they were doing their best to determine if it was a slave dwelling or not. Uh, and they asked me to come and give it a look-see, and I did. Yeah. So I I still get those kinds of uh, inquiries and those kinds of opportunities to kind of help people go in the right direction with the information that they, that they seek. Unfortunately, we don't have those resources that some of them are seeking, you know, to to do those uh, rest, uh, restorations. We're not that kind of organization. Well, you certainly heighten the profile and stress the significance of these kinds of buildings. And really, I think if people don't have it on their radar, they should after all your work. But what's in the future for the Slave Dwelling Project? Uh, we're looking for a place uh, in 2024 to have a conference in a northern state, uh, Nicole. So, <laughs> you know, if if indeed you think New London can make that happen, I think we need to I think we need to talk like soon. I've got the feelers out. I got a conversation coming up with someone from Cooperstown, New York. Cooperstown, New York has a possibility of where the Slave Dwelling Project Conference can be. So that's that's kind of that's kind of my priority right now in in finding that place and in forming these partnerships. Of uh, the last four years that we've done the conference, we've done it seven years. But the last four years that we've done it, we've been collaborating, uh, partnering with institutions of higher learning 
to do these conferences. So we take that all, all that into account when we choose these places to go. So that's my immediate um, priority as far as the Slave Dwelling Project is concerned. But also uh, next week, my next trip, I will be I will be going to Prince George's County, Maryland, going to the Surratt House when James Wilkes Booth assassinated Abraham Lincoln uh, when he was running. The Surratt House was one of the places he he stopped before he continued his run. So I'll be I'll be going there, and then um, the week after that I'll be going to Brooklyn, New York, to the place called Lefferts. So that'll be a first time for that. Um, oh, for New York, for New York City, for for that place in Brooklyn. Oh, I've for the place of Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. I I've gone to a place in in the Bronx. Yeah, the Van Cortland House Museum. I slept there. So yeah, I've been to a few pl- a few places in New York already. So we know the book is doing well and will continue to do well. So you're on the book tour. You're planning your next conference. How many, let's say, sleepovers this year in the next 12 months do you think you'll book? Huh. Well, you um, can just give us a guesstimate. Probably. I'm I'm you know, I'm getting a lot of calls from scholars. Uh, they're, they're kind of putting me in that category of people now. So I'm going to have to overlay that into places like, um, you know, the Hempstead House. So I would say probably two per month. I could I could schedule more if I wanted to, but I did visit the Social Security office last August because I became eligible. So I've got to take all that into account. I hope to be on the first invite list the next time you're actually in New London, wherever it is. I'm not okay. promising. I also am on Social Security. I am not promising I'm going to sleep on the floor, but I might come to the campfire. <laughs> so. Well, you know, the, all these places, all these places aren't on floors. Some of these places they use as all kinds of stuff, you know, like bed and breakfast, all kinds of stuff They these things are, are used for. I went to some place when I went to last time I went to the Hermitage, we slept on a table. <laughs> well, because <laughs> one, of, one of the living historians refused to sleep on the floor. Oh so my she, goodness. So she slept on the table, everybody else crawled up on the table. Um that's like the authentic experience, I think, though. Like that's you know, I remember <laughs> I remember my first year and I was like, I I remember the first year and I laid down and I was like, what did I get myself into? Because I'm I anticipated waking up. I'm like, my back's gonna hurt, it's gonna be and I have I, you know, let me tell you something though. I get the best night's sleep every year. Don't I say that every year? I'm like, I get the best night's sleep. They leave me upstairs all the time. I'm usually, la- is it right, Joe? I'm usually the last one up out of the house. And I'm like, you guys left me? Because I get the most, I get the best sleep. I get the yeah, best we sleep. Leave her, yeah, we leave her there sleeping. Um, <laughs> and which is, yeah, that's a good thing. Hey, did did you tell, did you tell her about the bat? I did not. I did not. Yeah, we had that that bat the one year, and and Joe was adamant he was sleeping upstairs. He was gonna stay in the garret, and Aileen and I were like, "Yeah, no, not happening." I said, "Well, maybe I'll go back upstairs." Next thing we know, here comes Joe coming down the stairs. <laughs> he said, "I'm gonna leave the space to him." I said, "Yeah, I bet you are." Yeah, you are not having that. No, it was it was that was funny. Yeah, well, maybe that was. Maybe I hope the bat may, will make the next blog because the when you mentioned alligators and snakes, that got my attention, Joe, in your book. Well, Nicole, you are nowhere near Social Security. So let me ask you, what's new and upcoming with the New London Black Heritage Trail and with the Hempstead House? And how can people find you on the web? 
Yeah, for um, New London's Black Heritage Trail, we've got quite a bit coming up. We're trying to get more of the guided tours, um, some audio tours, fixing some of those QR codes that um, need to be more permanent. For the Hempstead Houses, the, the sky's kind of the limit there because we're always working on something new and fascinating. And uh, I think we're going to keep Joe pretty busy because I don't give a tour without mentioning that I've slept here and, and you want to know how you can too. You know, so that's always a fascinating type of thing to do. Um, we are on Facebook. You can visit the ConnecticutLandmarks.org website. Um, we're also on Instagram and you can find you find us at the Hempstead Houses, Connecticut Landmarks um, with our events as well. So we're we're all over the web. And aren't we aren't we changing our venue when I come back next time? Where where are we sleeping? We might be changing the venue. Actually, we are changing the venue, but I don't know if we're ready to tell people just yet, Joe. They're going to have to keep on following so we can find out. Okay, okay. I'll but, leave it's that local, alone. <laughs> but it's local and it, it'll be a first time and hopefully not a last. All right. And Joe, where can they find you on the web? Slavedwellingproject.org. Uh, Slavedwellingproject.org. That's probably the safest place. You know, I'm, I'm pretty tame there. That's filtered. Yeah. Slavedwellingproject.org. Although I recommend your Facebook page. So, well, <laughs> thank <too>. you. <laughs> thank you so much to, to both of you. I want to thank you for this great discussion. And we will have information in our show notes with these websites and information, more information about the book. Thank you so much. I want to thank my guest, author and historic preservationist Joe McGill Jr. and historian and site manager Nicole Thomas. To find out more about the upcoming events at the Hempstead Houses, go to ConnecticutLandmarks.org and follow them on Facebook at the Hempstead Houses. I highly recommend booking a tour with Nicole to experience the place where this history happened. Please go to our show notes for this episode for links to more information. Fresh episodes of Grading the Nutmeg are brought to you every two weeks with your support. You can help us continue to produce the podcast by donating directly to Grading the Nutmeg on the Connecticut Explored website at ctexplore.org. Click the Donate button at the top, then look for the Grading the Nutmeg donation link at the bottom. Donations in any amount are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much. This episode of Grading the Nutmeg was produced by Mary Donahue and engineered by Patrick O'Sullivan at highwattagemedia.com. This is Mary Donahue. Join us in two weeks for our next episode of Grading the Nutmeg, the podcast of Connecticut history. Thank you.